Welcome to The Dietitian Project. I'm your host, Krista Kologesic. I'm a fellow dietitian and passionate business coach, helping you turn your dreams from vision into reality. I'm so thrilled to have you here with me. Today, I have a really exciting treat in store for you. How many of you have asked yourself, what exactly do dietitians and nutrition scientists working in the food industry really do? As a former industry dietitian myself, I used to get that question all the time. So I thought it was about time that I had someone come on the podcast to talk about the unique role that nutrition scientists and RDs play in food industry. So today I am thrilled to introduce my podcast guest, Marianne O'Shea. Marianne is the Vice President of Global Nutritional Science at PepsiCo, obviously a company that all of us are familiar with. Marianne leads a team of nutrition experts to guide the nutrition strategy fueling PepsiCo's innovation and portfolio transformation through nutritional science. And don't worry, she'll talk more in detail about what that means. Marianne and her team collaborate with internal cross-functional teams and business units worldwide to implement nutrition and health science programs that capitalize on the company's strengths and address gaps in their current portfolio. So Marianne joined PepsiCo in 2010, and prior to that, she held various R&D roles within several sectors of the industry, including nutritional ingredient suppliers for both the food and supplement industries. Marianne is also a co-author of more than 50 publications and book chapters on the health benefits of grains and lipids, and is actually the co-inventor on several patents, which I'm excited to chat more about. Marianne holds a degree in biochemistry from the University College Dublin and has a PhD in biochemistry and nutrition from Dublin City University. So Marianne, please feel free to say hey to the audience and let me know if there's anything that I've missed in my intro. Thank you, Krista. I am excited to to talk to your listeners and delighted to have this opportunity. I couldn't agree more with you that um, when I was at the phase of my training university, I did not know what was involved in an industry career at all and kind of learned on the job. So I'm really delighted to have this opportunity to give people a better sense of, of what we do and maybe even encourage them to go the same path. So thank you for hosting. Yeah, absolutely. No problem. And I think that's going to be the case. I have a lot of students that listen to this podcast, so I know they're all, and actually this is a, this is an episode that has been highly requested. So having somebody in to talk about, to talk about food industry. So I'm really excited that you are here. I want to start off by talking a little bit about you and your path and how you got to where you are today. So can you walk us back a little bit and tell us how you got into this field and how you ended up at PepsiCo? Yeah, so initially, when I was at the stage many of your listeners are at a university, I was really interested in the research I was doing and excited by it, but I was missing the tangible application. So for me, the so what, how do you apply it in a real world, what does it mean for everyday people, was was a, a question I couldn't answer easily. And so that's what propelled me towards industry. And I found that In my very early career, I I started working on ingredients first and developing the research and the science to explain what ingredients do to improve health. And I found like so many that go from academia into industry, um, 
understanding that you're one tiny component <laughs> of what's needed to bring that benefit to a consumer is a very humbling experience and, and a great learning. So working with cross-functional teams in marketing, in finance, in product development, in regulatory, in all the various areas that I had no idea of really outside, that was one of the biggest first steps for me in my career development and necessary steps. I mean, I've heard recently described by one of our leaders, and it's really true, you're one instrument in an orchestra and for the symphony to really be heard you have to to work well together and so about 10 years ago then PepsiCo had an opportunity which I was really interested in because again it was getting beyond ingredients and really going close as I could to a consumer I felt and getting a package on a store shelf right in front of a consumer really incentivized me at the time about this company that, that I'm in now was their ambition to improve their portfolio. They knew they had challenges to address and had uh, very ambitious goals. And when I looked at the company and, and really the, the scale and the extent of it and learned that, you know, they served over a billion consumers a day, I thought, wow, if you have an impact here, you can really have an enormous impact on, on health. So that was the major incentive for me to come to PepsiCo. And 10 years later, I, I think it was one of the best career moves I've ever made. Uh, we have really built a great capability of nutrition experts uh, based all around the world um, in 14 different countries um, with the common goal of helping the organization reach and achieve that ambition it has to really uh, serve its consumers with much more choices and healthier choices. It's very, very rewarding work. So that's kind of getting me from then to now. Great. I love that. And can you can you speak a little bit more about your background in research and, and what I had mentioned in the intro about patents? I'm curious about, about that because that's a first for any of my podcast guests. So can you talk to me a little bit more about your background in research? Is that still something that you do? Yeah, we have a big research program here at PepsiCo, as, as do many of the food industry. So that's something that you do not kind of give up <laughs> in terms of if you're doing research in academia, it's something you really take those skills with you and use them. The type of research that we have been doing over the years and that we do now, really understanding how our ingredients improve health. And so examples that we are working on currently, we have a number of ingredients that we're exploring how they impact the microbiome, for example. And as a result, how can that improve health? Or many of your listeners are probably familiar with the health claim that we have on our Quaker oats that they reduce cholesterol. That obviously involved a great deal of research um, to demonstrate that in clinical trials that the, that oats indeed do that and then prove it to the regulators so that they then allow you to make the claim. So that's type of research, but much of it is novel new territories. And when you start to explore those areas that are novel and new territories, you do make inventions. You do discover very novel findings. And we, of course, try to protect that finding with patents because it's a great investment and if you can protect it and um, that adds even more value for the company in the long term. 
Yeah, no kidding. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for for walking us through that. And I'm excited to explore today's topic because, you know, I want to talk about what a food industry nutrition scientist or dietitian actually does, right? I think sometimes we think like, oh, maybe they do this, maybe they do, okay, they do marketing, but what does that really, really mean? So as I mentioned before, many of my listeners are nutrition students or they're new dietitians who are just trying to navigate the field and understand which path might be right for them. And unfortunately, as we chatted about before, we get very minimal exposure to what nutrition scientists or RDs do who work in the food industry throughout our schooling. So a lot of dietitians just come out of school having no idea. And consequently, I think sometimes there's a bit of a misunderstanding about what nutrition experts and and dietitians in industry actually do, which to me really comes from that sort of lack of understanding. To start off, can you provide us with a little bit more detail as to what does your day-to-day actually look like as a nutrition scientist with PepsiCo? Yeah, I I think one of the important things to, to maybe reassure your listeners, is that we we all come from the same foundation, the same fundamental background, right? We have a vision and a knowledge around nutrients and ingredients, their impact on health, and ultimately how that might guide diets, right? So that's one of the core values that we have, regardless which sector um, of the profession we pursue. So whether you choose industry or public health or policy, that foundation is consistent and the same. We all have the same ambition there to improve health. I think, you know, one of the real tangible examples of what we do in industry that's perhaps different from some of the other sectors is we're guiding product development and product improvements. So that's kind of a very basic thing. And and to do that, like our day-to-day at PepsiCo, we have, as I mentioned, we have our team which consists of registered dietitians, those that have expertise in public health, MS, PhDs. It's a, it's a broad group with varied expertise, and they're spread throughout 14 countries. And the reason for that is that they're embedded with our businesses and our business partners. And that's the only way you can really impact new product development and improvements on existing products. So a big part of the day-to-day is partnering with product developers, with marketing, with communications. And just to give you an idea, so if, if you wanted to, as a company, launch a new product and your end goal is, I would like to have claim on the product that says contains half a serving of whole grain. So dial all the way back to the start of that idea. The nutrition scientist on that project team is the one who says, okay, this is the amount of of whole grain you need to make that claim. And by the way, that's not the only thing that's going to be important because if you're going to do that, you also need to make sure that your saturated fat's in line, that your sodium doesn't exceed the the limits of of the uh, public health guidance, your sugars and so on. And so we give this very fundamental direction to the formulation itself. And that's a big part of our job. And then when it comes to the other end, when you're ready to launch that product after it's produced, we're helping our communications team to position it in the right way to explain to consumers what that means. What what is half serving of whole grain and how do you get that message clear and transparent to consumers? So that's a big part of our kind of day-to-day. We work 
also with external stakeholders, educators, academics, policymakers, just making sure they understand what we're doing as a company overall and what is going on with individual categories in each region. The research we mentioned, that's very exciting. We have a number of programs. Um, I mentioned areas like microbiome, immune health. I would say we've obviously invested a lot already into heart health, continue to do so and maintain our interest there. Satiety is another area. Glycemic load for many of those that have concerns around diabetes. So that's another area that we're actively researching. So all of this research is going on as well, which is a little bit before the product development stage. So that's another big aspect of our work. And I think the final area to mention, which is something that's that's very rewarding, and I think many who are outside of the field don't realize we do, and that's internal education. So, you know, at PepsiCo, we have 260,000 employees globally. It's a small world. <laughs> it's, a, it's a big population, like a small country is what I'm, what I'm trying to say. And you know, they're just like everybody else. They want to know what they should be eating, not only to do their job and to produce better products, but for their own health and wellness. So we do a lot of internal education and that's really rewarding. We're always explaining the science. We're always explaining what's new and evolving. So just because you may leave academia it doesn't mean you stop teaching. Totally. Thank you so much. I mean, that was so helpful going through that example of, you know, all of the different touch points that a nutrition expert uh, is involved in really when it comes to food industry. And I think that's that's a really cool part of it, right, is, is that you can be involved in everything from the innovative process to actually creating the product to the production, to the distribution, to the sales, to the education like that entire uh, flow, which I think is really interesting. And I, I remember that too from, you know, my time in food industry is just like, that's the beauty in it is it's, it's different every day. The work that you're doing is different every day. So it's it's an exciting career path in that respect because it's just, you get such a diversity in terms of what you get to do in, in your experience. So thanks so much for that. That's That's really great. So what do you feel like are some of the biggest challenges then that dietitians and nutrition experts face when it comes to working in the food industry? I think, you know, one of the foremost challenges we always have as an industry is around innovation, you know, bringing consumers what they need in a new and fresh way. And um, I think we all recognize and, and understand that our our consumers really have a demand now for healthier products, but that comes with a number of imperatives that they expect. And, and sometimes they don't even realize, shoppers don't even realize that they're looking for all these attributes, but we know that they are. So things like having you know, healthier products also comes with the expectation that there will be a clean label. So no artificials, recognizable ingredients on the, on the ingredient list, things that you have in your own kitchen. They should be convenient, right? They don't want to spend hours prepping something over a stove. It's going to be fast and easy and have positive nutrition. And all of those things have to come with great taste. That's like non-negotiable for, for consumers. So that's, it's hard to do to get all those attributes and tick all those boxes. You know, so that's a challenge. And, and one, we rise to that occasion very well in our company and it's challenging, but rewarding. But I would say the even bigger challenge for us is 
taking existing products that consumers know and love and improving them. So that has been for me in my 10 years at PepsiCo and even in my prior years before coming to PepsiCo is, is the most challenging part actually of the work we do. We've established, you know, very clear goals. As I mentioned, that was one of the incentives for me to come. For example, just one of the goals around sugars in our beverage portfolio, we have, you know, put in place a target by 2025, more than two thirds of our portfolio will have 100 calories or less coming from added sugars. We have a huge global portfolio. We're in 200 countries. So that's a big ambition. But coming at this, without having an industry lens or experience. So when I was coming out of university, I thought, well, what's the problem? You just take the sugar out and and you're done. And I didn't realize at all until I got involved in reformulation is that, you know, it's very, very difficult. There's not a one size fits all approach at all. It's complex to do. And consumers have an expectation that their beloved product will you know, remain the same, look the same, taste the same. And, you know, we we made big reductions initially in trying to cut sugars, for example, and they failed, failed miserably. And we're very fortunate that we work in a company that was so committed to persevering and uh, going back to the drawing board and finding ways around it. And, you know, in some cases, we found that making very small changes in a stealth way over time was going to be more acceptable to our consumers and eventually get them um, to a really good place over many years than going with fast, big, impactful changes in one time. Those would fail. And there's a number of examples we could give, I would say, around, you know, different approaches to, to product improvement and product reformulation. Um, it's tough. It's it's not easy work. It's probably our biggest challenge and will remain so for some time, but it's incredibly rewarding. I mean, we're coming up to the point now where we're uh, 14 years at PepsiCo working on reformulating our portfolio and we've made significant progress and it's, you know, we publish it every year. So you can go on our website. We have our report that we publish annually and each year we publish the progress against the goals where we are and that gets audited externally it's it's a very rigorous process but as a dietitian nutrition experts in our function we are really rewarded by that work we feel like we're making a very positive contribution and we can see it in the numbers and it's recognized externally so that i would say challenging but rewarding at the same time For sure. I know there's going to be so many people that are just sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, I had no idea that all of this stuff happened in the background. So thank you so much for providing that. That was perfect. And you had kind of alluded to this next question before when you were talking about how, you know, at the end of the day, when whether you're a nutrition expert, whether you're a dietitian, whatever that looks like, we're all coming from the same school of thought, right? But I'd love to get your thoughts on this. I think sometimes there's a bit of a perception that nutrition scientists, that dietitians are, you know, quote unquote, selling out, right? When they join big food companies. I don't believe this to be true. I've worked in food industry and I I see what that looks like. And I think that 
having dietitians at the table gives companies access to experts who can help to improve the nutritional profile of their products. And given the fact that food products are in every single household, it's actually a pretty, pretty cool and interesting opportunity to, to make pretty widespread public health related changes, which I think is a different, a bit of a different way of looking at it. And so do you have any thoughts on this? Yeah, I, I, couldn't agree with you more in that I think, as I mentioned already, from the outside looking in and early in my career, I thought, why why not just take sugar out? Like, what's the big deal? And and it goes to the point that, you know, we know the need is great. We have a food system that is not serving the needs of the population today. The health of our population is a, is a great concern. And you need to address that from all sectors. So the food industry is one part that has a responsibility. But you can challenge the industry with guidance and recommendations all day long. If they're not feasible, nothing will change, right? So I think one of the biggest value um, for me and and others in industry will, will say the same of this experience is knowing what is feasible and having direct, tangible aspects related to the practical application of dietary guidance. You know, I mentioned already, for example, the uh, the goal to, to reduce sugar across our beverage portfolio by 2025. There is no one size fits all. So how we're coming at that, um, just to give you an idea of what I mean by the feasible application, we have um, some products where we can just reduce sugar. That's been possible. So we've done that globally on 7up, Marinda, very big brands, Top 50, you're probably aware of the juice, um, you know, with, with reduced sugar. We're also developing products that have no sugar, that have alternative ingredients in there. So Pepsi Zero is an example. And we're encouraging smaller portions, so 7.5 ounce cans, which is like that little mini can. If you really love your sugar soda, uh, that might offer you an opportunity to get to a smaller portion. And then, of course, as we already mentioned, the new innovation um, brands like Life Water and Bubbly and sparkling flavored water. Those are the ways in which we're getting to that goal uh, overall. It's not easy because... Many may not realize that, you know, while sugar is certainly, I think it's, it's understood that it impacts taste, it also has impact on stability, for example. In, in foods, it controls growth of yeast and molds, and it prolongs shelf life. And in beverages, it certainly provides mouthfeel, viscosity, and also prolongs um, shelf stability. So if you if you remove it, you have to find alternative ways, right, to improve the shelf stability. So, you know, there's there's not, as I said, again, not one size fits all, but there's pros and cons of different approaches. And I think, you know, working at it year on year, working through failures, we're finding what works and what doesn't. And we have a very good practical sense very early on on what's feasible. And I think that is what really helps the industry dietitian stand out from the rest. And when you have a, a table of, of cross-functional or I would say cross-sector um, nutrition experts, I think all will agree on the need to improve health. There's no question there. All will agree on the need to have more choices and more healthier choices. There's no question there either. And the policy experts will 
navigate how to best, you know, guide policy. But at the end of the day, it's the, the industry nutritionist that's sitting at the table in those discussions that says, I realize that's what you'd like to do, but we know it doesn't work. We tried it in this country. It, it doesn't work. We tried this formulation. It's really difficult. It's not stable in that category. So if you, if you recommend that, many companies won't be able to do it. And that really results in a lot of discussions that have then feasible outcomes in the end, which overall are, are, are positive to, to impact our consumers. So that's the big difference with, with industry as a profession. There's a lot of practical applications and value that you can provide. You're part of a solution on the ground, and it's more the tangible aspects um, that, that you can influence. Yeah. And, and I mean, it's, it's so true what you said earlier around like fixing the food system is, is very much a multifaceted approach and, and, and food industry plays a massive role in that. Right. So that's great. And, and it kind of leads me into my next question, actually. So you having led a, a, a very large team, I'd love to know what attributes do you feel like make someone successful in the food industry as a nutrition expert, as a nutrition scientist or a dietitian? I think for for me personally, um, always going back to the science, having science as your major foundation and your compass, not necessarily following trends, no matter how popular they are. I think that's the critical, most most important aspect. Um, the communication of that is a huge value. You know, if you're a good communicator, but that goes for all professions, really. I think the, the most important thing is, is focusing on the science and ensuring your recommendations are always science-based and how you guide, whether it's the company you work for or other aspects of the sector, whether you're in public health, just ensuring that that's always uh, taking a science base. I know that also for myself personally, and this could be for any career, um, knowing your weaknesses is a, is a very important one. None of us are perfect. We all have strengths and weaknesses. But I think understanding where you tend to trip up and knowing that you can plan and organize yourself not to trip up. So uh, sometimes we have weaknesses that we simply can never fix or improve or change. They're just there. And, you know, if, if there's a particular area that you have a knowledge gap, you you make sure that your team members that are around you have expertise in those areas so that if something comes up, you know, they can step in. Or if it's a weakness related to, I don't know, what could be different uh, personalities have different ways of working, right? Mm -hmm. If you're aware of it, you will be careful not to let it uh, trip you up. And I think that makes you successful in any career. So ask for feedback and don't get insulted by it. Feedback is a gift, especially if it's delivered in a, in a very transparent way. And ask for it early in your career. And probably you'll find after you have a couple of managers, the feedback gets very consistent. Your weaknesses don't really change. And the more you learn about yourself, I think the better you can grow and improve. So that would be my, my 
and yeah, advice. That's great. Yeah. And, and it, it does apply to every industry, right? It's all about self-awareness and, and kind of how you how you can recognize those strengths and those areas for development. So I always love to end off my podcast by throwing it back to you a little bit and asking a few more career specific questions. As I mentioned, there's a lot of new dietitians and, and students who listen to this podcast. So I'd love to know what are some of the the biggest challenges that you personally have faced so far in your career? I think from a professional point of view, and we've already touched on it a lot, actually, is, you know, when you're working on um, improving products and it fails, I think that's incredibly challenging. I've been in situations where, you know, for whatever reason, we were striving as a, as a company to do the right thing and really uh, get get our best shot out there. And it fails. It doesn't work. And consumers get very upset. They write letters to our CEO even. And, you know, I've had to sit in discussions with, with general managers in some of our businesses. And I said, like, we, we listened to you. It didn't work. It's cost us a fortune. We've lost all this money. And now we're backtracking. You know, how are we going to get it? Why do you think it's going to be any different next time? And, you know, I, I'm really fortunate. I said that before. I'm in a company with great leadership that believes in doing the right thing. And in those situations, there's a lot of support around us um, in ensuring that we do persevere. And if we fail, we try and try again. And it's hard at the time. But if you persist at it, it, it is really worth it. It's very, very rewarding. So I would say that was probably... For me, some of the biggest challenges is kind of having those tough conversations and trying to maintain the motivation of everybody to keep going, even my own team sometimes. And then personally, I, I know this is probably it you hear often if you ask people, you know, what's the biggest challenge? It's work-life balance. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that I will continue to work at for my entire career. I have four kids and they're all at home right now in virtual learning because of the pandemic and I don't know it's it's hard to get it right I I think there's days where you feel really good about it where you've the right balance of of family and and work and you're getting as much done in both areas as you can and there's days where you feel you simply can't succeed that you're missing you're not giving your best in, in either place and I think that's very natural many People feel like that. Men and women feel like that. And I, I know it continues to, to be a challenge. Uh, you know, I, I will work at it till I retire. <laughs> I don't know that I'll ever get it right. But those are my, my biggest challenges. That's great. And and I think that one of the answers to this next question is probably going to be something around resilience. But what are some of the qualities that you feel like have made you successful so far in, in your career? Um, so keeping things in context and that that certainly supports resilience as you mentioned i think you know knowing what your big goals are you know what is it you want to achieve and and it can be as simple as saying i want to improve the nutrition of all the products i work on this year um and it could be even more detailed than that but i think having some fundamental goals and then going back to them regularly so we will all have derailers we'll have bad days we'll have you know things that will kind of upset the apple cart and I think if you 
if you don't sweat the small stuff too much and keep your eye on those big goals, you will ultimately make progress. So that would be, I would say, one of the attributes that has helped me a lot. Um, staying calm, just, you know, not losing the <laughs> cool when, when things are going south and just maintaining that focus on, on, on the priorities. And then the second thing for me is I've always been very candid and transparent, right? With all my stakeholders, but especially my team. I work with an incredible group of individuals and they're amazing. I, I admire them. I'm inspired by them every day and I am really lucky uh, to, to work with them. And I pretty much call it how it is. You know, there's no hierarchy or fluffy conversations. <laughs> if if things are on track, it's on track. And if it's not, we have that conversation and I'd like to think that they they um, all see me as somebody that uh, they can come to with any problem at any time. And uh, fortunately, up to now, that served me really, really well and hopefully helps them a great deal. And I would say that's been a quality that's been hugely helpful. That's great. And, and what advice do you have for students who might want to pursue a similar path or who might want to find their way into food industry? I think... I think definitely, um, you know, connect with individuals that are in similar fields. So through LinkedIn and other professional networks, try to make those connections. It's always helpful when you're attending conferences. And I know that's virtual these days, but you're still in the talks. You can reach out to somebody after they complete their talk and say, I've just heard your talk. I really enjoyed it. Would you mind if we connect? I'm interested in pursuing a career in industry. That happens to me a lot. I'm very grateful for those connections. And um, I think that's one one way of making sure that you have a network established and you can go back to it any time in your career. So I would do that for sure. And pursue internships. Our industry and I'm sure other sectors provide internships to students. And I know many, many companies do. And, and certainly here at PepsiCo, we're very fortunate to have our interns every year. They really do great work. They come in very fresh and excited and they leave even more motivated. And the really nice thing is to see them come back, you know, and work for us. They they really get motivated about what, what we're doing. And it's a wonderful, I would say, way to test out a job without you know, having to make that full commitment. So it's a really good idea to seek those opportunities. Oh yeah, for sure. I couldn't agree more. Last question, which is perhaps my favorite question, but what are some of the things that you hope to see in the future of nutrition? Um, I think one of the consistent needs is, again, I, I know I mentioned it already in, in a different context, but really using science as an anchor in communications. I think right now there is a lot of misinformation out there and we're living in an age where information is so fast and so transparent. So anyone will quickly Google the question they have and, and some will be satisfied with that answer, others will go deeper. But I think our profession has a responsibility to really ensure that we're communicating science-based facts to consumers and trying to hold the line and ensure that the facts are being communicated well. I think that will maintain our credibility and ensure that, you know, consumers have trust and a place to go when they really need the answer. So that would be something that I think is, is critical for the future of nutrition and our community. 
And I think we also have to continue to develop empathy with consumers. So what I mean by that, and I mean, we probably all recognize it in our own families. I even see with my husband and my kids that they will ask me questions about, am I supposed to eat this? Or why is this bad for me? Or is this good for me? And, you know, rather than coming at it with kind of a technical approach, we know that telling consumers what to Mm -hmm. eat doesn't work. We've tried that for a long time. So we have to find ways to meet consumers where they are and really try to understand where they're coming from and meet them in a very empathetic way and, and find solutions, right, that will really help them understand in a meaningful way how they can improve their diet. So it's a, it's a tough one. I think we, we haven't cracked that knot and I, I'm very hopeful that we will. I see incredible communicators all the time and influencers, um, people like yourself that are really having the right conversations with the right people. It's, it's critical that we make that's the only way we can really advance. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Thank you so much for that. And and thank you so much for being here. It was such, such a pleasure chatting with you. Can you let the audience know where they can follow along with you, where they can find more information about the work that you do, about the work that PepsiCo is doing? Yeah, no, it's been my pleasure to have this opportunity and speak with your listeners. And I'm, I'm very grateful for that. So they, they can find me on LinkedIn. I'm there and please reach out, connect with me. Um, or learn more about us um, through our website. PepsiCo has a lot of information around our winning with purpose goals, as I mentioned, our ambition to improve our, our products, as I shared earlier. And uh, we, we publish our progress every year, as mentioned. And so you can really see how we're not only saying and, and uh, documenting these ambitious goals, but how we're delivering against them over many years now. And so I would say those are the two major sources to kind of connect with us and, uh, and, and keep an interest in watching what the industry is doing. That's going to be very informative as you choose your career. Perfect. I will include all of those links in the show notes here. So everyone, if you loved this podcast, please make sure to click subscribe in Apple Podcasts to ensure that you get updates whenever I publish a new episode. And if you have any questions or comments, as always, reach out to me via my website or on Instagram at The Dietitian Project. I would love to hear from you. Until next time, everyone, have an awesome week. This podcast was edited and mixed by Earworm Radio. If you are on the fence as to whether to hire someone to work on your podcast for you, honestly, do it. I struggled to edit my own podcast for months until I found Jeff from Earworm. Jeff does an incredible job. He's organized, he's efficient, and your podcast sounds amazing, which is super important for retaining regular listeners. You can follow them on Instagram at EW Radio or find more information at www.earwormradio.com.